And turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. We'll be reading together chapter 2 and verses 1 through 16. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 16. And I, when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit. And of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to, to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, what a tremendous passage the Apostle Paul brings to our attention tonight. The things of the Spirit, the depths of God. How can we begin to comprehend such things? Oh, Lord, we plead, draw near to us tonight. Open our hearts, open our minds. Enable us by the power of your Spirit to see Jesus Christ and him crucified. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, if you've been a believer for very long, and you've read much of your Bible, 
you've probably come across numerous episodes or situations and places where God says or commands his people to do things that his people feel are foolish and unreasonable. You think about what God told Elijah after he has been hiding for three years from Ahab, and God comes to Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and says, Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab. (laughs) I mean, this man's been trying to kill Elijah for three years. And God says, I want you to go face-to-face and meet with him. Or perhaps you can think of how Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And the people are scratching their heads saying, are you, are you kidding me? It's unreasonable to do that. Or think of John 11 after the death of Lazarus. And Jesus is, has been trying to escape the Jews. And and Jesus tells his disciples after four days, let us go into Judea again. And the disciples are just in disbelief. And one of them, I think it's Thomas, that says, well, (laughs) let's go with him that we may die alongside of him. They think he's going to be killed and they're going to be killed along with him. Or think about those words we just read tonight from Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus seeking to destroy and persecute believers. And God says to Ananias, Ananias, go to this place and ask for Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is saying, "Uh, Lord, (laughs) this, this man has been killing Christians. And you want me to go meet with him. Sometimes God asks his people to do things or to respond in ways that they don't understand. But it's not just in the Old Testament and it's not just way back then in the days of Jesus. We see another example of this phenomenon in this letter of Paul to the Corinthian church. Throughout the first chapter, the apostle has spoken repeatedly of the message of the cross being foolishness to the Jew and to the Gentile or the Greek. And yet, In verse 21 of chapter 1, Paul says, this message of the cross, this preaching of the cross, though it be foolishness to both Jew and Gentile, God uses that foolishness of preaching to save sinners. And it is very similar to what we're going to see in this second chapter. In our own day, there are many voices out there saying preaching the word of God 
is not going to build your church. If you want to attract people, if you want to build the church, you need more entertainment. You need a lot more lively music. You need to tell funny stories in the sermons. And above all, do not address any controversial issues. This very week, I received an email from some church organization that said they had a foolproof way of how to build your church and add to your numbers. And they gave this reason and this reason and this reason and this reason. And if you would do these things, you will add magical numbers to your congregation. Do you know how many of those things included preaching? None of them. That's not what we're hearing. But when Paul came to Corinth, notice that he has a very different approach. Chapter 2. Verse 1, when I, brethren, came to you, I did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says the preaching of Christ and him crucified that's where you are going to see the power of God. Not in excellence of speech, not in wisdom, not in all of these other things. I want us to look at this amazing statement about the preaching of Christ and him crucified and to do so under the following three heads. You have them there in your bulletins. First of all, the centrality of the cross of Christ in the preaching of Paul. And secondly, the mystery of the cross of Christ in the preaching of Paul. And thirdly, the revelation of the cross of Christ in the preaching of Paul. Now, let's look first of all at the centrality of the cross of Christ. Look carefully at those words, verses 1 and 2. I did not come with excellence of speech or of the wisdom. Look at verse 4. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. According to Paul, when he came to Corinth, his preaching was simple. It was very understandable, and it was plain. That is, he, he didn't use a lot of impressive-sounding words. He didn't flaunt his education he did, his, his style was not smooth and, and polished. 
He did not quote from Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, all who had taught in the neighboring town of Athens in Greece. Remember how he says the Jews seek for a sign and the Greeks want wisdom. They want to hear about the the great thinkers of the day. When Paul came, he preached Christ and him crucified for sinners. And in that, they would see the work of God. He says, my preaching, in verse 4, my preaching was was not in these excellence of speech or, or wisdom of men, But it was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's what Paul was depending on. His success in Corinth was not due to the fact that he relied on his intellectual abilities. There, There is no question this man who wrote half of the New Testament was a man of superior intellect. And he did not rely on the training that he had received at the feet of Gamaliel. The apostle chose to rely upon one thing. And that was the power of the word of God. It was the power of the gospel. He simply declared, as he says in verse 1, the testimony of God. That simple message of the gospel. We've been hearing about it the last two Sunday mornings from Romans chapter 10. That simple message that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. That simple message that it's only the blood of the Lamb that can wash us clean of our sins. And make us acceptable to God. My friends, that simple message, listen, that simple message does not need to be embellished. It does not need to be enhanced. It does not need to be made more attractive. And most of you here, I'm satisfied, know that I love a lot of different quotes. And I love to tell you those quotes, but none of them surpass the words from John Eady on this verse of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. And this is what he says. The apostle would not cast a rainbow around the fountain of life, for he would that thirst And not curious gaze would draw men to it. Now, my friends, let me see if I can bring that home to you here tonight. How many of you in this room know people that are lost and dying in their sins? How many of you know people that do not know the sweetness and the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
How many of you have members in your own family, neighbors next door to your homes that don't know Jesus? Listen, my friends, if you know Christ, you have the fountain of life. You don't need to cast a rainbow around it. You don't need to make Jesus more likable. You don't need to to come before people and bring them some clever presentation of the gospel. You don't need to add something new that they've never heard or take away something that you, you think might be offensive to them. The simple message of the gospel. Christ and him crucified. Don't try to dress it up and make it more attractive. You have the fountain of life. You have the source of eternal life. You have the source of the forgiveness of sin and freedom from the guilt and power of that sin. And all you have to do is tell people what you know. That message is the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe. Now we know that the crucifixion of Christ was not the only thing the Apostle Paul preached and taught. You read the book of 1 Corinthians and and you see that Paul deals with all kinds of moral issues, sexuality. He deals with how to come to the Lord's table. He deals with with spiritual gifts. He, He deals with the resurrection. He deals with what to do when you have legal disagreements. The Apostle Paul covers a plethora of different issues that are affecting the lives of their they're those believers in Corinth. It was not the only thing he preached, but it was at the center of everything he preached. It was at the heart and soul of what he taught because apart from Christ and him crucified, apart from the work of the cross, There can be no salvation. Apart from Christ and him crucified, there can be no forgiveness of sin. There will be no gracious work of God in the hearts and lives of his people. Apart from Christ and him crucified upon the cross, there can be no life. There can be no joy. There can be no peace. In your heart, and my friends, if you're trying to to be good enough, if you're trying to be pleasing to God and somehow find the joy and peace that, that he promises in his word, but you're trying to do it apart from Christ, it will always end in a miserable failure. Christ and him crucified. 
the power of God and the wisdom of God. Well, secondly, let's think about the mystery of the cross of Christ in the preaching of the apostle. Now, just as we should not think that the preaching on the crucifixion of Christ was the only thing Paul preached or taught, neither should we think of Paul when he says, I didn't come with wisdom or excellency of speech with a simple, plain message of Christ and him crucified. It does not mean Paul is some kind of anti-intellectual and that his preaching was always about just simple, basic Christian things. Quite to the contrary. If you look at what he says in verses 6 through 8, he says, we speak wisdom. We speak the wisdom of God. Not the wisdom of this age, but we do speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, what does that mean? I mean? On the one hand, Paul is saying, here's this simple, very easy to understand message. But then at the same time, he says, we, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. How so? Well, note the distinction that's made in verse 4. My preaching was not with words of human wisdom. Or verse 6, not the wisdom of this age. But as he says in verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God. And he goes on and he says, we speak about things that are hidden, secret wisdom of God. Things that were ordained before the ages, but the brightest and best minds of the day didn't see it. And they couldn't understand it. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But Paul says we we speak the wisdom of God. It's a secret wisdom. It's a mysterious wisdom. These things that Paul is describing were things that God was pleased to hide, as it were, for thousands of years. And and the people only saw these shadows and types and sacrifices and rituals they didn't understand what they really meant and Paul says these things have been hidden they are secrets and, and God has only given the world a partial glimpse of those things my, my friends just stop and think for a moment what it would be like If all day long on the Lord's day we had one person after another bringing a lamb and having that lamb slain and having the blood sprinkled on the altar and then you're sent back home. What if that was the extent of your religious experience? 
What if you didn't know what the blood of the Lamb symbolized? That it was the blood of Christ shed upon Calvary's tree. And that by that blood, we are now washed white as snow from the guilt and sin and defilement of our iniquity. God only gave the world for many, many years a partial glimpse of the reality of his truth. But now, listen, but now, Paul says, God is making these blessings known. He's making known to us the things that are freely given to us by God. And do you know how he's doing that? Beginning in the first century in Corinth, how was God making known the mystery of these glorious truths? It was through the preaching of the gospel. It was through preaching Christ and him crucified. And the point is this, if you want to know what Paul is talking about here, about the things God has prepared for us who love him, the things that have been held in in a mystery and secret for thousands of years. You need to understand what Paul is saying here. And you need to look especially at verse 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for those who love him. You understand what Paul is saying? Paul is saying these things that God has for us can't be seen with the physical eye. They can't be heard with the physical ear. They can't be comprehended with the mind of man. These blessings are not of this world. They're not things you can touch and handle. They're not things you can see and hear and comprehend. He is operating in a different realm. There's a mystery here. But it's a mystery, brothers and sisters, that God wants to reveal to his children. And that brings us to our third and final point, the revelation of the cross of Christ. These things that the apostle has spoken of in this chapter are things that flow out of Christ and him crucified. They are spiritual mysteries, but mysteries that can only be known by the power of the Spirit working in us. So in verse 10, 
Paul has said, you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't conceive of it, but though you can't do that, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Now that spirit on the day of Pentecost was poured out upon the church and to this very hour as our catechism question and answer number 89 tells us that the spirit makes the reading but especially the preaching of the word effectual to convince us of our sins, to comfort and strengthen us in the ways of God. Brethren, God is revealing these things to us, but they are known by the preaching of Christ and him crucified. The bottom line is this. You can never know these things unless the Spirit of God is alive and well in your heart. Unless you have received the Holy Spirit. A point that Paul emphasizes particularly in verse 14 when he tells us the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. They're spiritually discerned. Not just he does not know them, but he cannot know them. It's impossible. A man without the Spirit of God within his heart cannot know the things of God. He can't buy them. He can't learn them. No matter what school he goes to, he cannot earn them by his good works. He cannot figure them out if he climbs the tallest mountain around and sits there and meditates for two weeks. He can't comprehend them. It's impossible. The only way you can have, the only way you can receive these blessings is by the Spirit of God working mightily in your heart, especially in the preaching of the gospel of God. You know, this is exactly what happens in the book of Acts. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. You remember how Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and he's laying out before them the glories of redemption and how God has worked all down through the ages and now in Christ has accomplished the redemption of his people. And the people come and they say, what Men and brethren, what must we do? They were smitten. They were cut to the heart. They were under conviction. What do we do? And Peter says, repent 
Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. First question that every single one of us has to answer tonight, have you received the gift of the Spirit by believing on Jesus, by repenting of your sin and turning to him? But what happens immediately after that? We're told in in verse 41, they gladly received his word and were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. What's the very next thing that happens? Spirit, which they have received by repentance and faith in Jesus, is now dwelling in their hearts. And what we read next is they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine In the fellowship of the saints, in the breaking of bread, most likely a reference to the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. Their life was changed. They received the gift of the Spirit. And immediately it caused them to begin to seek Him. To seek to know and grow in their, their understanding and knowledge of the things of God. So the first thing you need to do is to pray daily for the Spirit. We've had ample opportunities in the past several sessions to talk about the promise of Luke 11, 13. That God gives the Spirit to those that ask Him. So pray, brothers and sisters. Pray every day that God will fill you with His Spirit. And then the second thing is to be very much on your guard about grieving the Spirit. Because when you grieve Him, you quench His power. When you grieve the Spirit by sin, it nullifies His work in you. Maybe you've received the Spirit, but you're grieving Him. Not only does the book of Acts tell us, or or the book of Luke tell us, that we are to pray for the Spirit. God gives the Spirit to those that ask Him. But the book of Acts in chapter 5 and verse 31 tells us, He gives the Spirit to those who obey Him. And when we obey Him, We're not going to do it perfectly, but our heart's desire is to obey him. God is going to bless. He's going to pour out his spirit upon us. The third thing that I would recommend to you is that you you look at the words of Ephesians 5 and verse 18. So much talk about being filled with the spirit these days. Paul tells us exactly what that looks like. In in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, he says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's one of those phrases you have to know the grammar. Number one, this is second person plural. That means you, all of you, no one accepted. You. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Second thing, it's imperative. This is not a suggestion. This is not something to get around to if you have time. This is imperative. This is a command of the king. Be filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, it's a present imperative. And so we could say, be ye being filled with the Spirit. And the last thing is passive. Passive voice. And that means it's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. Be ye being filled. Every day, brothers and sisters, we should be before the throne of God. Praying, confessing our sin, not grieving the Spirit by our sin, but turning from them, obeying God to the best of our ability, and then seeking actively to be filled, to be being filled with the Spirit. Now, there are many, many gracious signs of the Spirit dwelling and filling his people. And as you you read the rest of Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, you find that this is what happens. You start worshiping God, singing and teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Wives start acting a particular way towards their husbands. Husbands start acting a particular way towards their wives. Masters start acting a particular way towards their servants. And servants start acting a particular way towards their masters. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There are a lot of other ways that we could mention, but perhaps one of the most striking manifestations of the filling of the Spirit is right here. And it's in verse 16 of our text. When Paul writes these words, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? I don't think any of us would want to take claim to that particular exercise. However, what does Paul say? But we have the mind of Christ. When our hearts are open to the preaching of the gospel, the work of the Spirit is powerful. And he gives us the mind of Christ. We start to think like Christ thinks. We start to talk like Christ talks. We start to act like Christ acts. And if if there's one verse that just sums it all up, it's Psalm 40 and verse 8, where the Messiah says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. My friends, what an unspeakable blessing 
That is to have the mind of Christ. May God be pleased to so work in this assembly that as we hear week after week Christ and him crucified, we will have the spirit and the mind of Christ to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we bless you. We thank you. Because the riches, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, your ways are unsearchable and your judgments past finding out. But you have made known to us those things you have prepared for those that love you. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon this body tonight and fill us with joy as we seek to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.